Welcome back to the Call Her Doctor podcast. It was a crazy semester, but we are back for 2022 with tons of new episodes coming your way. This week, I'm sharing a conversation from a few months back with Haley Barlow. Haley is a fifth-year PhD student studying developmental biology with a passion for science communication. This episode is going to be split into two parts, with this part coming out now and the next part coming out next week. So this week, we're going to talk all about her path to biology, her research, lab, and sort of the academic science culture, finding the right advisor, and just a lot more about the grad student experience. Next week, we'll continue the conversation and dive a lot deeper into scientific communication and what that is and why she's so passionate about it. We'll also talk a little bit about the importance of this type of communication and how that came out um, came up through the pandemic over the last year and a half. So be sure to check out part two next week. And um, with that, we will jump into the conversation with Haley. All right, so I am here with my friend Haley Barlow, and Haley, I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do. Sure. Hi. So my name's Haley Barlow. Natalie and I went to elementary school together, um, so we've known each other for a very long time. Um, we're both from Austin, Texas. I am currently doing my PhD at UT Southwestern Medical Center up in Dallas, Texas. Um, I did my undergrad at the University of Notre Dame in Indiana, uh, but then I came back to Texas uh, after getting a taste of the four seasons, uh, and I am currently in the fifth year of my PhD program, so I'm getting close to the end, um, and I am studying developmental biology, and we can, there's several, we'll talk about it more, but that's the basic intro. Awesome. All right. So I would love to know kind of, yeah, what is developmental biology? And then how did you choose that like niche of a field? Excellent questions. Um, Okay. So developmental biology is essentially the study of development. It's a super, it's like one of the oldest fields in biology. Um, Very uh, fun, storied past uh, with lots of very weird experiments people have done over the decades. But Um, essentially development, uh, by development, I mean, um, what happens basically from conception to birth. Um, so basically embryos or fetuses, if that's your preferred terminology that we really only use that to refer to human fetuses slash embryos, but I work with, um, mouse embryos. So basically, um, we, you know, time our mouse pregnancies and then extract the embryos at whatever stage we're interested in and then use those embryos to study, um, specifically our lab, we look at how their organs are formed um, because, you know, you go from, hopefully everyone listening has had the birds and the bees kind of talk. And so you start, you know, with a sperm and an egg, uh, which has very limited patterning Um, and if, so we're basically trying to figure out how you go from one cell to your adult self, right. Or even just a baby, like a baby is a very complicated structure, uh, compared to one cell. Uh, so we study how the different organs form. Um, and so, yeah, that's basically what we do. And then, oh, and how did I get into that? What got you into it? Right, right, right. (laughs) what got me into developmental biology? So uh, I guess I can say how I got into biology period first. Um, 
So my parents were both English majors. And so I always thought I was going to do English. I was going to do writing or something. Um, And so when I was like, whenever you apply for college, I guess, senior year of high school, um, I remember sitting there and being like, okay, you know, I'm going to apply to school. What am I going to apply to do? I was like 50, 50 between like English and biology because I had all, I had always loved biology since I was, I think I got really excited about it in like fifth grade when we first learned about like classic Mendelian genetics. Like if you have two pea plants and like one of them's yellow and one of them's green, what color are their baby peas going to be? Um, and so I carried that interest like throughout high school, but wasn't able to take AP biology because the year that I was going to take it, they were like, we're going to start offering it every other year, starting with an off year now. And I was like, great. (laughs) So I basically kind of was like, well, I either go in blind or I go with something that is more familiar. Um, and I decided to do, to start with biology because I knowing kind of like the two worlds and the curricula associated with them, I was like, it would be easier to start in biology. And if I hate it, I can leave. Um, because for those who are listening, who did not take science as a major in college, it's like very structured and they like hit you really hard with a lot of basics at the beginning. Um, and so it can be really difficult to catch up if you like switch in later. Um, which is a stupidly oppressive aspect of science in general. Um, but so I decided to go for science and I was like, yeah, if I hate it, I'll leave. Um, but then I got into biology and I was like, oh damn, this is sick. Like, this is so interesting. Like, this is so fun. I really think this is cool. Um, but I don't want to be a doctor. Like I knew from the beginning, I didn't want to be a medical doctor because I grew up very germophobic as a kid. So I was like, I'm not, not going to do that. And then also like you're dealing with people at their very worst. And I don't have the emotional range to do that every day. (laughs) So um, I was like, okay, like I really like biology, but I don't really know what I'm going to do with this. Like I'm going to stick it out for now, I guess, until I figure something out. Um, And I will say I like barely remember this, but I like got a C plus in my first semester of intro bio. And in my mind, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I must've thought it was interesting and cool because I decided to stick with it. And then I like looked back at my transcript at one point during college and was like, oh wait, I got a C plus. And my friends were like, yeah, you were distraught. And I was like, oh, I blocked that out. Um, but all that to say, you don't have to be successful all the time to be successful. But, um, so while I was at Notre Dame, I got into research because I was like, I don't want to, I don't know what I want to do with biology. So I'll try research. Um, and I was very fortunate to work in a really cool lab that studied, um, retinal regeneration in zebrafish. So it's like these little fish you can buy at PetSmart that have, really incredible regenerative capacity. And by regeneration, we mean like not just healing, like if you get a cut, like your skin will kind of scab up and heal over and whatever. Um, But regeneration means like if I lost an arm, like I wouldn't grow a new arm, right? So, um, but these fish, if you cut off their tails, they'll grow their tails back. You can cut out, I believe up to a third of their heart, like while they're 
alive and beating and like they will fix it and come back, which is insane. Um, and so the retina is the light sensitive part of your eye that allows you to see. Um, <clears throat> and so these fish can go from being completely blind to uh, being like regaining normal functional vision within a month. Um, and so we were studying how that process happens. Um, and so that would be considered like adult stem cell biology. And that field came from developmental biology as many like of the sexiest fields today have. Um, so when I went to graduate school, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to do like, you know, stem cell development kind of thing because, um, I'm really interested in how cells change from one thing to another thing, right? So like as adults, we're, most of our cells are just like, I mean, I say just, all our cells are very important and do lots of cool stuff, but like a skin cell is a skin cell as at my stage of life. Like I'm 26, I'm officially on the downward slope of like fertility and vitality <laughs> in human life. So like, nothing cool is really like changing a lot in my body right now, but like in an embryo or in like a very young baby or child, like you have these stem cells that are very active and can, uh, basically like go from being this stem cell to becoming a different kind of cell. And that process to me is very interesting. Um, we do have adult stem cells, uh, in human adults, but they're like very limited in their capacity to like do and become different things. Um, so, but yeah, basically I was really interested in how one cell becomes a different cell and how the cells around it, like support and inform that process. So how like teamwork makes the dream work basically, as you go from being one cell to a very large bag of cells that all are different things. Um, and so that's how I ended up in developmental biology. Very long story for a relatively short answer. Very cool. How did you, so you did undergraduate research. Was that the only undergrad research experience you did? No, actually. Um, so as I said, I didn't know what I wanted. Uh, so when I, I think my freshman year, I was like very much, I've always been very much like a go-getter and a little bit too much probably. And so like I have <laughs> over the years uh, learned to chill out a little bit. Um, and so my freshman year of college, I, uh, one of our professors in intro bio was like, I need a research tech, like an undergrad research, whatever. And I was like, cool, I'm in. Um, and that lab did nutrient exchange in like rivers and streams. And their focus was, um, we lived in, we were in Indiana. There's a lot of farmland around. And so their focus was like, how are nutrients cycling in and out of like drainage ditches off of like big cornfields? Um, and so I worked there for a while cause I didn't know I was like, I don't know, biology is cool. Like, I don't know what I want to do. So I worked there and I was like, nope, nutrient cycling, so boring to me. Like, <laughs> so I worked there for a while and like learned some things. And then, um, but then I hopped into uh, the zebrafish lab, like my sophomore year. Um, so I did that 
for most of my time in college. I did also do a summer internship at uh, UT Austin when I was home the summer after my freshman year. And I worked in a research lab that was also fish, but it was um, stickleback fish, which they're like probably about the size of like your index finger while zebra fish is maybe like two, one to two joints of like your pinky finger maybe. So they're a lot bigger. They're the population we were studying, like they would go to Canada and like collect them and bring them back, um, which I really wanted to do, but I didn't get to go. Uh, but basically they are this really, I mean, such a cool fish, um, as many fish are, but this lab was studying, uh, the evolution of these fish. Um, so sticklebacks for those unfamiliar are a, uh, wildly genetically diverse species of fish that like there's a, a marine version and a freshwater version. And they're super different, um, but are very closely related, like at the genetic level. So, um, and they are evolving at a very fast rate. Like humans evolve very slowly because our generation time, uh, especially now is like, it takes you a long time. Uh, like technically I could have had a child when I was 12 and that child could have had a child when they were 12, you know, like you can move it pretty quick, but in terms of like, how often our genetic information is getting shuffled around. It doesn't happen very often. And so our evolution rate is pretty slow. Um, but these fish have amazing genetic plasticity. So we were studying basically like how, uh, the project I was working on was looking at how um, this like one little group of fish, there were some that lived like closer to the shore and some that lived like a little bit further from the shore. And like, they're obviously related and they can interbreed and everything, but they formed like two relatively distinct populations, but they had um, very different immune responses to different things. And so we were studying how like, how these two like subpopulations of fish within this same body of water that just lived like a few feet apart from each other, were uh, genetically distinct and like how that was happening. So it was an evolutionary biology lab that I worked in. Okay, very cool. So that's kind of nice to have like the exposure to two different things and you can kind of figure out what you like and don't like. That's what I tell a lot of people when they're trying to figure out like what internship should I do or what should, it's like just pick something and try it. And chances are you won't like it. Cause it's really, you know, rare that you yeah. like the first thing you do, but at least you Absolutely. Know at that point that you, you know, that you might want to do something else. Yeah. Uh, and that was very much the strategy I took. Cause in, um, like biology graduate school, the way that you choose what you're going to work on is like basically your whole first year of grad school, you're taking classes and then you do what we call um, rotations where you work in different labs for like at UT Southwestern, it's only six weeks at other places it's longer. Um, but you know, you go work in a lab that you think you're interested in working at uh, and you kind of like see if you actually like it, if you like the people, if you work well with the professor who runs the lab and whatever. Um, and so a lot of people do like two or three rotations, but I did four. Um, because there, what other time of your life do you get to like, no stakes, go try something new. Um, cause once you get into a field, like you're kind of like in that field, cause that's your area of expertise. Um, and so I, my first rotation I did, um, 
germline stem cell maintenance in fruit flies. So uh, the cells that become your eggs and your sperm, um, basically how they are regulated um, and how are they supported by the cells around them to remain a stem cell and continue to produce eggs throughout the lifetime of the fly. Um, then the second rotation, I worked in zebrafish again, um, but this time they were like little developing zebrafish, like little larvae. And I was looking at um, muscle cell fusion um, because if, for those who don't know, your muscles are uh, a bunch of cells that fuse into one large thing to make these fibers that then make up your whole muscle. Um, so they're called multinucleated cells and it's a weird thing. And we don't really understand how these cells fuse together. Um, so we were studying that. And then my third rotation is the lab that I ended up joining where I was studying how the pancreas forms before you're born. And then I felt really good about the second and third rotations. Um, and I felt like I could join either lab. Um, but I wasn't quite ready to make a decision. I wanted to think about it. And then I also wanted to make sure that like STEM and developmental biology was what I wanted. So I went and did something totally outside of my comfort zone. I did, um, well, micro, like how the microbiome, like what kind of bacteria live in your gut, uh, how that influences your responses to chemotherapy in cancer. So, um, basically like, you know, the types of bacteria that live in your gut, like the whole little ecosystem in there, um, can like help or hurt your response to different types of cancer treatments. And so we were studying that in mice and it was like super cool, but I was like, yeah, no, like this doesn't keep me awake at night. Like I'm going to go back to developmental biology, which is a crazy, uh, like metric by which we are expected to measure ourselves. Like, Oh, what keeps us up at night? Like, what can we never, ever stop thinking about? Um, which like, you definitely need that kind of motivation to get through a PhD and to do research. Um, but it's like, when you step away from that and think about like what that's asking of you, uh, for your job, it's like a little bit bonkers, but, but yes. Yeah. Trying different things is very important. And whenever <laughs> you have the opportunity to do so, you totally should. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I, I feel you on the, like, you know, what keeps you up at night? Cause I feel like there wasn't, you know, I don't hear that. At, like our, our advisor is really great in that he like kind of understands the boundaries and like, he has a family and he's, you know, also has um, a startup. So he's not like on top of, of us all the time, which is, you know, kind of nice, but as soon as we started working in the lab again, it was immediately like, that's kind of what my brain was thinking about all the time. And it was nice in some ways, not even in like a stressful way, but like I'm walking home from the lab, my little 10 minute walk. And I'm like, oh, I could also do, you know, this, this, and this that just like didn't occur to me while I was sitting there. Um, and I forget there's some, it's like a shower yeah, 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 the, yeah. Where you like whatever it is, yeah, where you let your mind kind of wander and you can come up with solutions to things, which like that's yeah. really important. Like I definitely get good ideas like when I'm thinking about stuff outside of work when I have like a quiet minute or whatever, but I try not to think about my science like all the time cuz and that's to me, I have 
I'm getting old and jaded in science. Uh, and so I have a lot of, um, there's a lot of things about like the culture of academic science that I just am like, it's so frustrating. Yeah. And yeah. it's, and there, if you ask anyone, everyone's like pretty much anyone that you ask is like, oh yeah, I hate that about science. Like even people who are like at the top level, they're like, yeah, that's super messed up. But like, no one is really, everyone just kind of accepts that that's the way that it is, even though almost no one likes it. Um, <clears throat> and I always have to remind myself and others that a lot of the weird stuff about academic science uh, stems from the fact that science was once a rich white man's hobby. So <laughs> like you and I, Natalie, we're talking about like how much we get paid and like you and I are both like wildly skilled workers. Like at this point in our lives, there are not a lot of people who could do our jobs because we're like super specialized. We have like a really specialized and detailed knowledge of a specific area and like have like the motor skills to do these things. Uh, and we get paid essentially to work part-time because we're like quote unquote part-time students and part-time researchers, even though we're both at this point full-time researchers plus like full-time plus, you know, like we don't get paid hourly, which like during the pandemic worked in our favor because we couldn't really work full-time. And so we still got paid the same amount because um, we're on a stipend system, but normally the system is set up to game you in that like you're expected to work more than 40 hours a week and only get paid to work 20 hours a week. So <laughs> <clears throat> I'm, I have some, I have some issues. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think that's one of the unfortunate things is like that expectation that you think about it all the time and that that's the dominating factor in your life. It's like, you can do really good science and engineering without it being the dominating thing that you're constantly thinking about, right? Like you can be really smart and apply yourself while you're sitting at your desk and go home and live your life and not have that affect what you do at work. And it's, it's weird. Cause I feel like there is a shift. Like, I feel like I found an advisor that accepts that and like works really well with that. And we have people in our lab who love what they do or just don't have any other interests. And that is what they do constantly all the time. But like, I still feel comfortable taking my weekends off and things like that. Whereas I know that that's not super common, um, and I know that that's one of the things that I really looked for in an advisor and talked to students about. So is that like when you were doing the rotations, were you, did you know to ask those questions? What were you asking? What were the red flags? What were the things you were looking for? Like if someone else is going through this process, you know, kind of what was your experience and what would you tell them to help them pick an advisor who understands that? Yes. Hot tips. Yes. The answer is yes. I was like looking for that kind of thing. So like there were definitely labs where um, they like, you know, I'd be like, you know, I would always ask like, so like, how much do you work? Like, what's your average, like, you know, day to day, like, what's your take on weekends, whatever. Um, and there was one graduate student who um, was like, yeah, you know, I work, you know, whatever, like whatever long ass hours during the week. And then, uh, also at least a half day on Saturday, but then like, and then like Sunday mornings, but then like Sunday afternoons are for me. I'm like, Oh God, <laughs> like, 
I just really have an issue with like that being the only way to succeed in science. Um, Cause I think, you know, you were saying like, it's really wonderful that you found a mentor who like, who gets that. And I would argue that for most people, like having a life outside of work actually makes them more productive at work. Um, which is something that like there is scientific evidence to support. Uh, but a lot of scientists um, maybe just have not read those studies. Um, so yeah, so definitely choosing a lab. Um, a lot of people who are um, of a different generation in science, so people who are like uh, more established in science um, would say that the most important thing about choosing a lab is the research itself. Like you need to be wildly obsessed it needs to be like the thing that like literally you can't sleep because you're thinking about how cool something is or like how to figure out a problem or whatever um because only when you have that kind of juice in the tank that kind of excitement will you be able to make it through a phd and then a postdoc and then the tenure process becoming faculty and whatever um and so but I really, I think that obviously like you need to be interested in the science. Um, and so like that was obviously a consideration, even just like choosing which labs I was going to try. I started with um, what science do I think is cool? Like I made my list. I was like, okay, this seems cool. This seems cool. This seems cool. And then to choose, like to further narrow down the list, I talked to one of our admins and I was like, all right, give me the dirt. Like who is a good mentor and who is not um, for most of their students? And of course, like that's a generalization. Like I know people who work in labs where the, the professor is a quote unquote bad mentor, but like they work really well with them and they have like really flourished in that environment. Um, and I also know people who work for quote unquote good mentors and like they don't work well with that mentor. And so, so it's very you know, you have to take all of those generalizations with a grain of salt. Um, but it is good to ask, like, what is their general reputation? Um, and so then when I was in the labs, yeah, ask everybody, like, you know, how, what's your average schedule? Um, and it's funny because, you know, so many scientists, because our schedules are flexible, a lot of people come in at like 10 or 11 and then stay till like six or seven or whatever. Um, but I am very much a morning person. And so I, but I like being a morning. So I work in a, in a late morning kind of lab where everybody kind of rolls in like starting at nine 30. Um, but I like to get there early cause I love working in an empty lab. Like you just can get so much done. Um, but you know, like, you know, what are your average hours? Like if you have to leave early, do you have to like ask for permission to leave early? Um, <clears throat> and whatnot. And like, how often do you work weekends? Um, so yeah, so like that one lab always was working the weekends and like their professor would be also in on the weekends working because like, he just freaking he's one of those people who like freaking loves it and is like, yeah, like I have a family and kids, but like, also I'm going to be here on the weekends. Cause like there's things that need to be done. And like, you know, I just love doing this. And so this is what I'm going to do. Um, Whereas like my current boss, like she does work on the weekends, but not in the lab. Um, but we like, basically if, if I have to be in on a weekend, I will be, or if I'm feeling extremely guilty or under a lot of pressure for a deadline, I'll be in on the weekends. 
Um, but currently like this weekend, I'm, I'm only going in tomorrow to give like a timed drug treatment that I have to do. Um, but yeah, that was, I'm trying to think like what other tips there are for choosing a lab. Oh, I was going to, sorry, I got off track. I was saying how people will say that the science is the most important, but to me, the lab environment is the most important and like how well you get along with the professor running the research group. Um, so I'm really lucky at UT Southwestern, like we're a top tier, like research institution, um, on the level with like the Ivy leagues and stuff, but we're very like the community is much more supportive. Whereas like at certain Ivy leagues, it can be very like cutthroat and people will like sabotage each other's experiments. And it's like a whole thing. Um, but here it's very much like everyone wants you to succeed. And so how can I help you succeed? People say that like, oh, who's at, whoever is in the lab, like your relationship in, with people in the lab, like doesn't really matter. It's just the science that matters. But uh, alternatively, you are going to be working with many of these people for years. Um, so there are always people who like, you know, if there's like a, like a sixth year graduate student in the lab and the two of you just like really don't get along. And like, that is not a reason not to join a lab because they're going to leave soon. And like, you will be there for much longer. But like, for example, in my current lab, there was a grad student who was just one year above me. And so I knew that we were going to be in this lab together for most, if not all of my time in the lab. And so I was like, she and I really need to get along because like, we're going to be working together for years. Um, and so, uh, and it's not often that like you get to kind of choose your workplace environment. I feel like in the quote unquote real world. So um, definitely like making sure that like you can at minimum get along like pleasantly with everyone in your lab, I feel like is really important. And then um, the most important thing is uh, how well you communicate with your advisor um, and like, you know, having like shared value systems and like having, um, they are the one who is going to be teaching you how to be a scientist. Um, like in my opinion, everyone who does science is a scientist, but like teaching you how to see a project from beginning to end and like how there's so many things that like make you a capital S scientist with a PhD at the end. Um, and so like your ability to get along with and communicate with them, I think is like the most important choice when picking yeah. a lab. I definitely agree with that. I know that's, as I've worked with more and more students, it's like, think about what you want your life to look like for the next five years, and then choose the school that fits that and the advisor that fits that instead of like cramming whatever kind of little bit of life you have left into your <laughs> PhD experience. And I know like I had one advisor who I was really interested in working with, um, not at UVA, but at a different school. And I had seen her speak at a conference um, like two years prior, even to me applying and then went and like when I applied, like emailed her and was like, I saw you speak. I'd really you know, love to come and interview. And um, she was open to it. I went and interviewed. They had a spot for me. And then I talked to her students and they were like, she's really like good and supportive but like she's really new and just doesn't quite know how to be a mentor and i knew that i wanted somebody who could like really push me and make me better and like knew how to do that the right way um 
you know, I didn't want someone who was going to be super lax because I like to challenge myself, but I also wanted someone who was going to be, you know, reasonable. And I definitely but think yeah, I treat you that. like a human being. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I think I got the impression from them that it was very, um, you know, just kind of hands off and lax and like, you know, there just wasn't as much of like an expectation or like a challenge or a, um, you know, work to develop you to be a good engineer um, coming out of that lab that, you know, that I was mm. looking for. But that's talking to the students, I think, and asking about like, yeah, do you work on a weekends? is yeah, really, really and, good advice. Yeah. And whenever we have like rotation students, you know, like it's like going on a, a date for six weeks, like, you know, it's like being on Love Island, perhaps where you're, <laughs> I love Love Island. Um, but you know, like they're trying to suss you out as well. Um, and like, I've had students where I was like, I don't think you would be a good fit here. Um, for like a wide variety of reasons. Like I had a student once who I adored, like I liked her a lot personally. I thought she was a great scientist. Um, but like her interest was always in cancer. And so she was always trying to kind of like twist things, which like developmental biology, um, one of the like kind of core theories of like cancer biology is that like these cells can, uh, reutilize developmental signaling pathways to kind of lose their, uh, fate as, you know, a skin cell or a lung cell, and then, you know, do some weird funky things and like form these large masses and migrate through your body, which are all very complicated processes that like are very hard for cells to do. Um, and so she was always like, yeah, you know, I'd want to study this because, and like try to, you know, uh, you know, implant tumors into mice and do all this stuff. And it's like, we really don't do that. Like no one, you, there's no one in our lab that has the expertise to teach you how to do that. And there are other labs that really do that, you know? So I really encouraged her. I was like, like, I would be thrilled to have you join, but I really think, you know, go try one more place, like try one more lab that does, you know, cancer um, and see if you think it's a good fit or whatever. Um, and that's the lab she ended up joining. So, um, <clears throat> but yeah, so everyone is kind of trying to figure out like what each other's deals are. Um, but whenever we have students, uh, like, I think we try to keep it like a relatively rosy picture while we're all trying to suss each other out and see if we want them to join. And then in the last like week or two of their rotation, um, we'll be like, okay, like here's the actual dirt. Cause everyone has dirt. Like no matter how well you and your mentor get along, no matter how wonderful your workplace is, like there's always dirt and there's always like friction and like sore spots. Um, and so we always, and so if people don't tell you those things, uh, you need to ask, be like, so what is it that you do not like? about your mentor or about this lab or like, what have you really struggled with, um, in working with your mentor or whatever? Um, and like, again, you always have to take those things with a grain of salt because like what you need from your mentor and what the person you're talking to needs from that mentor are very different things. Um, like I wanted, um, a little bit more intellectual freedom. So there was one lab that I really liked and, I think I would have like really been very successful because the professor had like my whole project basically planned out already and was like, this is what you need to do. And this is what we need to find out. And da, 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 da. 
Um, but I really wanted to be able to be like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like, what if I did this? Or like, you know, I can go check this thing out. Um, and so that's why I joined the lab that I'm in. And I think definitely there's been pros and cons because I have done a lot of like collaborations. Um, and so I have like a pretty wide range of knowledge. So like I've worked most of my work up until probably this year was focused in how blood vessels are forming. Um, but now my focus is how the pancreas is forming, but I've also worked on how the lung forms. Um, we have a lot of people who do kidney stuff. So I like know a lot about that. I haven't really personally done any kidney stuff. Um, I did a collaboration with another lab on campus that is making, um, like incorporating, figuring out ways to incorporate human cells into mouse embryos. So making chimeras and the goal there being like, you know, one day having a pig that can grow a human kidney and implant it into a person. So we don't need organ donors anymore. Um, but you know, so I've like done that. And so I have like a very wide range of knowledge and skills, um, which I have learned a lot from, but like now that I'm finishing up, like constantly the, the back and forth between me and my mentor is like, okay, I need to focus. Like, she's like, don't do this experiment because that's not like, like that isn't the focus. And I'm like, right, 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 right. Like, so I'm, I'm trying to like kind of shift my mindset now to be, um, focused. So, you know, pros and cons. Yes. So do you know kind of what you want to do after? I know you said that maybe not academic research, but what, do you have any idea? Yeah. Uh, so I've kind of flip-flopped around and like thought about a lot of different things, kind of the same way I did in undergrad. Um, cause these are big decisions, right. And I want to like <clears throat> make sure that I make the best decision that I can at that time. Um, and so for a long time, like coming into grad school, I was like, yeah, I want to go to grad school because I want to run a research lab. And this is what you do to do that. Um, and then over time, I kind of, because what I always liked about academic science was I really enjoy talking to people about science, writing about science, like, you know, telling people about the cool stuff that's happening. Um, I do actually really enjoy writing grants, which a lot of people do not like to do that. Um, but like, you know, coming up with new ideas and putting them together and figuring out, okay, this is how we're going to answer that question. And then submitting that to a funding agency to get money. I was like, yeah, I like to do all those things. So like the end stage of like an academic career in science, I was like, that seems great. And that's what I want. Um, and so that was like kind of my motivation to come to graduate school and like, you know, I would have conversations with people where, you know, I've struggled a lot in graduate school, as have we all. Um, but it's, it's really, whew, it's a lot, not for the faint of heart, I tell you what, but, um, you know, I had a mentor once who told me, she was like, you know, you're going to be a fantastic professor, like you are going to be such a great mentor. And like you do, you have so many good ideas. And like, you're great at grants and all this stuff. So like, you're going to be really great at that. But like, you kind of just have to suffer through graduate school to get to that point. Um, and at that time, I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, thank you for the affirmation. Uh, yes, I will suffer through this process to get what I want. Um, and basically, like, you know, I always said that the writing and the communication and stuff was like my favorite part. 
And then kind of during the pandemic, when I was like thinking about stuff, I was, I realized that I could say that same sentence, but flip it backwards and say that the bench work, the actual research is not my favorite part of my job, Um, which was like what I'd been saying for years, but like to flip it like that, I was like, oh God, like that really changes the game. (laughs) Um, So I have decided to um, go for a job in science communication after my PhD. Um, And that is like a decision I made like in the last couple of months, because I was still like my personal pride and like my understanding of the jobs available. I was like, I still really like teaching, like teaching is something I'm really passionate about. So I'm going to go do a postdoc and still go the faculty route and go to like a primarily undergraduate institution and like maybe run a research lab, maybe not um, so that I can teach. But then I kind of realized um, through like lots of different conversations with different people, like there are ways for me to start doing what I like to do now without suffering through another like at least two years. Like I, my plan was to go to Europe and do a postdoc, which like that was the only way I could get myself to do it is if I was like gonna go live in a cool place and meet new people. And like, you know, their postdocs are generally shorter than the ones in the US. Like I think there's like five years is like the max. And like here in the US, five years is like the minimum for a postdoc. Um, so I... But yeah, so basically I've realized there, I don't need to, like the research is not the most fun part to me and therefore I'm not going to make myself keep doing that. Um, So I'm looking at uh, stuff in science communication, which is a very broad field, of course, but um, really any kind of translating science for uh, people who are not scientists, AKA the majority of our sweet green world. All right, with that, we will wrap up this week's conversation with Haley. Be sure to check out the rest of the conversation next week. That's a lot more focused around scientific communication and her passion for that. I'll link all of Haley's information, um, including where you can find her Science Saturdays on Instagram down in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in.